0: From India's largest newsroom, I'm Arun George and this is the Times of India podcast. Sometimes, the bill was sent to the government. Use But, because आंकड़े नहीं जुटा पाए और उसके कारण वो सपना अधूरा रह गया महिलाओं को अधिकार देने का महिलाओं के शक्ति का उपयोग करने का वो काम शायद ईश्वर ने ऐसे कई पवित्र काम के लिए मुझे चुना है That's Prime Minister Narendra Modi speaking in India's new Parliament building on Tuesday the 19th of September. In his speech, he alluded to feeling like he's been chosen to pass the Women's Reservation Bill. Over a decade after it was cleared by the Rajya Sabha and over two decades since it was first introduced in Parliament, the Women's Reservation Bill seems set to be passed by Parliament. Once a law, it would reserve 33% seats in Parliament and state assemblies for women. Once implemented, it would give Indian women their highest ever representation in elected bodies like parliament and state legislatures. Presently, just around 12% of Lok Sabha representatives are women. The global average is 23.6%. Over seven decades, India has had only around 330 women Lok Sabha MPs. In most state legislatures, the percentage of women lawmakers on average is believed to be around 10%. In today's episode, we are taking a look at multiple aspects of this proposed law which could be passed by Parliament before the weekends. ends. Tushar Chakrabarti from PRS Legislative Research explains the history of the bill. And TOI Plus columnist and political analyst Radhika Ramaseshan explains the political implications of passing this bill. The bill itself has a long history. It was first introduced in 1996 under the Deve Gowda government. Tushar says the law never got passed, despite popping up in parliament multiple times over the years.
1: There are four earlier instances when the bill was brought in. In 1996, uh, 1998, 1999 and 2008. But uh, all previous instances, the bill did not pass and become a law. In 1996, uh, the bill was even referred to a joint committee of parliament and uh, the committee gave certain key recommendations as far as the provisions of the bill were concerned. It recommended that the reservation for women should be given to see the reserve for Anglo-Indians. Reservation should be provided for 15 years after which it could be reviewed. The extending the benefit of reservation to OBCs and women belonging to minority communities could be considered by government at an appropriate time. And the government should also sort of work out a framework to provide reservation to women in Sabha and state legislative councils. But uh, despite this report, the bill lapsed after the resolution of the eleventh Lok Sabha, and uh, it was the similar case with the bills in 1998 and 1999. In 2008, uh, the bill was introduced in Rajya Sabha. It was sent to a standing committee of Parliament. The committee gave a report, and the bill was even passed by the Rajya Sabha. But uh, since it was not passed by the Lok Sabha uh, back then, so it again sort of, sort of lapsed.
0: In 1996, when it was first proposed, to its last iteration in 2010, Radhika Ramaseshan said she was witness to every occasion the bill was stalled in Parliament. In 1996, when the Devi Gauda government moved the bill, Radhika was reporting on Parliament proceedings and remembers being witness to some dramatic opposition to the bill.
2: I have covered each of the session when this bill was introduced and likely put to vote. And what was remarkable each time was the male bonding across parties. Then you forget other labels like secularism, communalism, social justice, mandalism, and so on. It was all about preserving the male turf, and it just cut across party lines. It was introduced in 1996 when H.T. devagowda was a prime minister. And in those days, even prime ministers were accessible to the media. Parliament, of course, we could stroll in and out and uh, everybody was very curious to know what is going to be the fate of this bill because there was already a lot of buzz that it is going to be opposed by every party or elements within each party. We approached uh, Devigauda's staff and some of us women and they said, of course, you can go and meet the Prime Minister. And Devigauda was uh, patiently explaining the scenario to us. When in walked in Uma Bharti. she was quite a powerful leader then in the BJP. She was an MP and one of the front-ranking uh, backward-caste faces. And Teva Gowda did not tell us to leave the room. He's just kind of gestured that you can sit. And then Uma Bharti became very fiesty and said, Pradhan Mantri Ji, Ye to Parit nahi ho sakta hai, at which point Teva Gowda gestured us to leave the room. So I guess Uma Bharti must have put in all her arguments, which found favour with OBC MPs across the board. It was the the Mandalites, Sharad Yadav, Nitish Kumar, uh, mulayam Singh Yadav. They were all completely on board, and they found a very convenient front in Uma Bharti, woman prominent member of the BJP.
0: The bill was passed in 2010 by the Rajya Sabha after it went before a standing committee that made recommendations on the proposed law. Tushar explains what the committee at the time had noted.
1: So, the standing committee back then was of the opinion that reservation for men is the need of the hour. It sort of agreed with the broader principle of providing reservation. Again, as far as the question of providing reservation to women from OBC communities or minority communities was considered. It again said that uh, it should be considered by the government at an appropriate time. However, if you look at the report of the committee, there are a couple of uh, dissent notes which were given by two members of the committee. And uh, what they sort of proposed was that the overall reservation for women should not be more than 20% and the bill should also provide for providing reservation to uh, women belonging to OBC and minority communities. But uh, this was the broad crux of what the standing committee said. Like in
0: 1996, Radhika was a witness to the drama of 2010 as well. She recounts that while there was celebration over the achievement, UPA head Sonia Gandhi seemed to know that the opposition to the proposed law came not just from political rivals, but also from within her own party.
2: Sonia Gandhi, she was determined to see this bill through. And once it was through in the Rajya Sabha, which in retrospect meant nothing, because ultimately the Lok Sabha has to adopt it as law she gave a series of interviews to uh, women journalists in particular and uh, one of them asked that uh, how did your party come around she said did my party come around i could see the hypocrisy she said it quite uh, frankly they came and they told me badhai ho so i told them i know how deep rooted your badhai is the obvious question is whether it is the lok sabha or the rajya sabha the two major parties, namely the BJP and the Congress, plus the left, which had a good a bench strength. So these three were on board, and yet the number of times it was brought in, it fell through on under one pretext or the other. Either it was active opposition from the NDA allies or the UPA allies, or it was a complete disorder, mayhem in the house. When it was brought to the Lok Sabha, I think of all people, it was Sushma Swaraj who said, first we need to have order in the house and then only we can pass. Now, to me, that seemed like a very convenient alibi to stall the bill because there was opposition from within the BJP itself.
0: The Women's Reservation Bill is a constitution bill which amends the constitution itself. Tushar explains, what's needed for a proposed constitutional amendment like the Women's Reservation Bill to be passed by Parliament.
1: Constitutionally speaking, any constitutional amendment has to be passed by at least half the members of the House and two-thirds of the majority of the members present and voting. And this has to be done in both houses of Parliament, Lok Sabha and Rajya Sabha. So we'll have to see when the bill is sort of taken up for consideration, passing, and uh, how long does it take for the bill to become law?
0: Radhika says that in the past the issue of having a quota for OBC lawmakers had proved to be a stumbling block for the bill. However, she says that's not a worry at this time for the Narendra Modi government.
2: Unlike a lot of other votaries of the women's bill who trash the subquota argument right away, I do find a bit of merit in it. If you are going to have reservation for the scheduled caste and the scheduled tribe within this 33% quota, then I would imagine that the demand from the OBCs is also legitimate. I feel under the circumstances, this was also used as an excuse to defer the bill. And in fact, it is the main reason why the bill has been put off again and again and again. Because the OBC factor is in currency in the political establishment, it's a huge, huge vote block. No party, no leader dares to say, no, this demand can't be complied with. We will go ahead, regardless of whether there's a subquota or not. Now we will have to wait and see whether it crops up again, because the BJP lays a huge premium on the number of OBC MPs it has. So should this demand for a subquota crop up again, we have to see what the BJP does. But under the circumstances, the numbers are very much on the side.
0: The rapid push for the bill, which wasn't even in the original list of business for this special five-day session of parliament, only indicates its importance to the Modi government. But Radhika says that despite the urgency in pushing through the bill, it won't be in place for the 2024 national election. Even if it is passed
2: in this session, It will possibly not be implemented until the 2029 elections because you need to have another round of uh, delimitation which will then factor in uh, the women's bill and uh, the modalities that need to be done in order to reserve one-third of the seats in uh, parliament as well as the legislative assemblies for women.
0: So then what explains the rapid push for this bill and how could its impending success be packaged in a national election campaign? I spoke to Radhika about the larger political implications of the bill. We discussed the political gains for the Modi government from passing this law. Radhika also explains why she's still not convinced that this bill could change Indian politics or give women more political power. We started by asking her about whether she sees any obstacles to the bill becoming law. You know, you mentioned how Sonia Gandhi spoke of the lack of support from within her party. That's not the case for a Narendra Modi who could easily perhaps get this bill passed just because of his writ within the party and the majority that the BJP now enjoys. Do you see opposition to this bill halting its way in either the Lok Sabha or the Rajya Sabha? Because there doesn't seem to be any obvious obstacle to it.
2: Uh, yeah, you're right. There are no obvious obstacles. In the past, the active opponents were the Samajwadi Party, the Jantadal, Jant- which is now the Jantadal United, and the RJD. I think over the years, these parties themselves have changed a bit, you know, modulated their stance. At least I know for a fact that the Samajwadi Party wants to appear modern, quote-unquote, and politically correct. So if you're talking about this Mandalite bloc, which was a Pretty sizable block opposing the bill in the past. That has definitely diminished strength, in vocal power, in political influence. These parties have banded together to demand caste census, which the BJP and the government is not ready to conduct for reasons best known to them. I think it's very simple. It will expose the uh, strength of the upper caste in the Hindi heartland vis-a-vis the OBCs and the Dalits. I think that's why the BJP doesn't want to upset its core base of the upper castes. If, if this issue is also linked to caste census, namely the demand for a subquota for the OBCs, then perhaps there may be some noise in parliament. But I don't see it going beyond noise. I see the bill passing through quite easily, unless there is opposition from within the BJP. In the past, that was spearheaded by Gopinath Munde of Maharashtra, who himself is from a backward caste. He is gone. He is not there. Prailad Patel, another backward caste MP from Madhya Pradesh, jumped the gun and congratulated Modi for actually passing the bill when it hasn't even been introduced. So you have uh, OBC representatives who are completely on board. If you really go through the gamut of OBC representatives, BJP has the largest number of OBC representatives. The Mandalite block is a shrunken block today. The Left and Congress are completely on board. In fact, they are dying to pass the bill. So I don't see any obstacles in Mr. Modi's way for the passage of the bill. If he still can't do it, then there is probably something amiss within his own party.
0: What? For you, explains this government's sudden move to clear the bill and possibly even introduce it and if it's to be believed, even pass it in parliament in this session.
2: To me, it seems that uh, Mr. Modi is in a perennial competition with the Congress. He wants to better the Congress's record on every score. The Congress can still claim justifiably that we tried. We passed the bill in the Sabha in 2010. Unfortunately, we couldn't do it in the Lok Sabha, the BJP uh, sets a lot of store by the women votes right from the beginning. Mr. Modi gets the women votes in chunks in quite a few states without even mentioning the Mahila Arakshan Vidhayak or the Women's Reservation Bill. But then he has realized that he needs some additional input and not just depend on his persona, his charisma, in order to get a big chunk of the women votes. He consistently addresses the women voters, never fails to do it, regardless of whether it's a state election or even a civic poll or a parliamentary poll. So this is one kind of a layer in the whole agenda to get... The women votes. And it's a very important layer because if it is passed, regardless of when it is implemented, I'm not going into that. The BJP can justifiably claim that other parties, even our own government in the previous avatar, had attempted. I managed to succeed. So it shows some strength of will, some resolve, and it will also sort of vindicate the Modi hai to mumkin hai kind of uh, slogan. So I think he's doing it primarily with an eye on the women votes. On the whole, a women's performance in uh, the Lok Sabha has not really been very encouraging, but let me emphasize that is no reason to put off the Bill because it's really been a trial by fire, if you see the passage of this bill, maybe it will embolden them to take up issues much more strongly and more convincingly and more forcefully.
0: Do you see this as being one of those big things like a triple talaq or anything else? Or is this just one more sort of tick mark? Because typically legislation isn't very cool in election campaigns, right?
2: Legislation, I agree, is not very cool in election campaigns. It all depends on how you interpret a package and project the issue before the electorate. And I can trust Mr. Modi and the BJP to do it very effectively without uh, couching it in legalese. They are not going to do that. It is going to be a very political issue as far as they are concerned. They will make a brownie point against the Congress primarily. Sonia Gandhi, when she was asked by some uh, reporters just outside Parliament that this bill is being introduced, it's likely to be passed, she said, Hamarahi toh hai, and she's claiming credit. So you already have uh, a one upmanship game going on. Modi's endeavor will be to claim credit entirely to himself and put the Congress down. And there will be many who will believe, who will say, yes, Congress attempted, but Congress was in power for 10 years. Even if it failed once in the Lok Sabha, why couldn't uh, the UPA, the government try again? Now, if you're talking about women votes per se, now, barring a few states like Tamil Nadu or West Bengal or Gujarat, I, I never see women voting as a bloc in many states. If you're t- going to talk about uh, the Hindi heartland, there I see women voting on caste and religion. You took the example of uh, triple talaq. Now, that was uh, packaged as a big offering for women by the BJP. So therefore, I deliberately spoke to Muslim women wherever I went and asked if this is having an impact, if this is an important issue, and all of them said, no, this is not the issue. The number one issue for us is security. We want our lives, the lives of our men to be secure. It was definitely not uh, triple talak. So, we, women's reservation, uh, we have to see, namely, how the BJP uh, packages it, the kind of language it uses, the kind of discourse it makes, and uh, it is going to put a lot of its articulate women front and center. And uh, let us see how they take the message across. Because there are also issues like price rise, which affect women, which have thrown household budgets awry. There is joblessness. So th- these are also issues that will women will factor in when they vote instead of just reservation. I uh, wonder how many women think that they're going to be direct beneficiaries, because if you take the record of women MPs or even women MLAs, I mean, I've covered the UP assembly for long, the elected women MLAs hardly ever opened their mouths in the assembly. So, I mean, if I'm a woman voter in, say, Ghosi or Deoria, I'm going to ask, what good did I gain by voting a woman? Then you go to the panchayats. Of course, the panchayats have women, uh, reservation for women. Women have been getting elected over the years. But what are they known as? It's their husbands and fathers-in-law or fathers who do the talking and the decision-making for women. So, reservation hasn't really empowered women, especially in the North. Uh, There is a big change if you visit a state like Karnataka or Tamil Nadu. There, I think women are... uh, Movers and shakers, they are decision makers. So it is going to geographically uh, vary from state to state, depending on what the social milieu of the state is. But if you are looking at the vast uh, territory of the Hindi heartland, I do not see it making much of a difference because the record of women MPs and MLAs, especially from this part of the country, has not been very encouraging.
0: Having seen politics and legislative debate over so many years, how do you see this bill and its future implementation changing either politics or legislative debate, either at the state level or at the national level?
2: It all depends on the kind of women who are going to get elected. If you take a seat like, say, Azamgarh in UP, which is uh, OBC majority, OBC and uh, Muslim dominated seat, you will have to field a backward caste woman or a Muslim woman from that seat. And there are any number of examples I can give in the Hindi heartland uh, where, uh, you know, uh, there will be adequate OBC representation without the supporter. That is not a problem. The point is the kind of women who get elected from DC seats I'm not going into education at all. It is whether they understand the issues that they have been elected for, the issues that they represent, and how well they are able to articulate those issues in parliament. In the past, you had women like uh, Renuka Chaudhary who spoke their mind out on uh, gender issues, but they are few and far between. They never even influence decision-making within their own party. Forget the government. I'd like to point out that when the Women's Bill was not passed, the BJP made a promise that it will have 33% reservation within the organization for women. That has not been implemented. Far from it. Where are the one-third women in the BJP's hierarchy? I mean, it's uh, completely missing. You may have a token representative here or there, but they are not able to carry their agenda through. If these parties are giving tickets, a lot of forethought will have to go into it about which woman. Long ago, the RGD had this woman called Bhagwati Devi as elected from Bihar. She was from the Musahar caste. Now, she was an exceptional woman who brought up issues not only regarding her caste or her constituency, she could take a broad view of uh, women's issues. I mean, she was a surprise package. Then you had Fulan Devi. Fulan Devi spoke about police reforms in, uh, in parliament. Now, who would expect Fulan Devi to talk about police reforms? I mean, that is a lacuna on our part, to think that Fulan Devi cannot talk about police reforms. But she did, she stood up and spoke very well. So uh, you do have exceptions like those and it's important to have more Bhagwati Devis and Fulan Devis.
0: But are Indian parties, according to you then say, well placed enough to do this right now as it
2: stands? No, they are not. They will not go for these kind of women. As I said, these are really exceptions. You know, Renuka Chaudhary was not clearly a favorite in the Congress or earlier when she was in the TDP because she just spoke her mind. They will go for the submissive kind of women. I mean, even if this bill is passed. So uh, the patriarchal male order will still call the shots. That is going to exist. I do not see that getting subverted at all. A handful of women may sort of uh, make a mark if this uh, bill is carried through. But let me tell you, it is not going to upset the existing order. No way. Men will call the shots. Men will have the way their way. Men will set the agenda. Men will make the policies and so on. If at all they allow women uh, say, it will be on some anodyne kind of issue or an anodyne policy, which is unlikely to upset the status quo. That is how I see the bill playing out in future when it becomes low.
0: Today's episode was produced by Jairaj Singh and Anuja Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on TY+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, Email us at toipodcast at timesinternet.in